So I'm interested in stories about top 500 retailers, ideally from their own mouths. So that's interviews, it's their financial results, it's presentations, talks at conferences, that kind of thing. Then it's what vendors or other technology providers can tell us about the change that technology has made to a top 500 or great 3000 retailer. But we're also interested in innovation. So if you're doing something that's really new and maybe a retailer isn't using it yet, we're still going to be interested. That was Chloe Rigby, editor of Internet Retailing. For those that don't know, Internet Retailing is one of Europe's leading titles for e-commerce and retail news. I'm Dan Paris, and welcome to the Digital Communicators Podcast, a monthly show which will investigate issues affecting the tech sector from a PR and marketing standpoint. For episode six, I'm going to be chatting to Chloe about her route into retail and e-commerce journalism, what tech vendors can do to make their pitch stand a chance of landing on the Internet Retailing site, as well as talking about her views on the shift in shopping habits caused by the pandemic. Thank you very much for joining me, Chloe. So the first thing I just wanted to ask is just to get a bit of your background and I guess how you actually came to get into journalism. Was that always the plan? How did the career path come about? I think I wanted to be a journalist quite early on and I still remember my careers talk when I was 13 from the editor of the local paper and I remember what he said and I worked on the um, student newspaper at university and then I went off after university, I taught English abroad for a few years and came back, started working in the advertising office of an Italian newspaper, I'd been living in Italy, thought from there I, I could just go into journalism instead of working in the advertising sales office. So I applied to Cardiff and did the course, the postgraduate diploma course there, and then spent 10 years working on local papers. I was on the Gloucestershire Echo in Cheltenham for what, three years, and then I moved to Bristol to be on the um, Bristol Post, as it was then. Where are you Where are you based now? I'm still in Bristol. You're still in Bristol? Yeah. And do you look back fondly on the, I always get quite interesting when people started down the local journalism route, and do you still have fond memories of working on local rags? Yes, well, it was, it was a great place to learn. You you get very varied stories, always doing the same thing. You do things like magistrates court, crown court, inquests, or knock on people's doors, find out their stories, and all kinds of things that you wouldn't get if you were just always in an office. It was great for being out, getting out, meeting people. Yeah, you must feel very much part of your local community, I guess, when you're doing that type of journalism. Yes, yes, definitely. When you get sent off down the high street to come back with three stories by lunchtime. Did it felt the papers you worked on, did they feel quite stretched? Was it relatively low resourced in terms of the amount of journalists on on the books? No, when, when I was on them, because it was quite a while ago now, they were really well staffed. What we were short of were stories, because they were not so much in Bristol. Bristol was just a really good news patch. But when I was on the Echo in Cheltenham, I spent a few months, I think about nine months, being the district reporter in Still on the Wold. Um, and there was only one story every two weeks, which was the planning committee agenda. And apart from that, you had to go and find everything. So it's good. It's a good learning experience. And was it straight from local news into the retail and e-commerce side of things, or was there a stopgap in between, in terms of sex? When I'd been on the Evening Post for about six years, I went freelance and wrote 
all kinds of things for all kinds of people. And then started working on internet retailing maybe a couple of years on from there. And work has expanded on internet retailing and everything else died back. So it's just been one of those things where you take your journalistic skills to quite a new sector and you learn all about it. You become an expert just by doing it. And did you have any sort of previous specific retail experience at that stage or did you just have to throw yourself Um, into it? It wasn't retail. What what I missed out there was that when I was on the Evening Post, I was there for six years and I spent probably the last two as the business editor there. So I'd learned about business. Now I'd say it's much more writing about retail and e-commerce with a business reporter hat on rather than a technology reporter. I guess through business, there's always going to be big retail stories involved in that. How has, how do you think internet retailing specifically has changed in the time you've been there? So what year roughly would it have been when you would have joined the the title? So I've been writing the newsletter for about 12 years, I think. So it's changed enormously in that time. I think I first did it in about 2010, yeah, 11, 12 years. And we were writing about maybe someone was launching a website and maybe they'd, they'd found that selling online was the way to go. And not everybody was. There were loads of people who went online for the first time. But today there's only really Primark that doesn't, but back in the day. It was a big story when somebody got a website. And now it's just completely changed. I'm trying to think, I'm just trying to look back on all the major retailers who have fallen over in that time frame as well. And I remember even probably... Six years ago, I think probably the first time I was talking to you was in my like very first week in PR was working with Astound Commerce. And at the time they'd comment on things like Black Friday, which still mm-hmm. felt relatively new at that point to the extent that they we could put out comments and it would get picked up by by people. And that was, I guess, in the UK at least, it felt like a relatively new phenomenon. I'm not actually sure what year it originally landed on these shores. But yeah, it's quite, it's a completely different beast now yes I, I remember the first couple of years it launched it was very much asda because they're a walmart company and amazon and every year would say is black friday a thing is it is it really and then as time has gone on it's it's now definitely a thing and now we're talking about amazon prime day i think now you've got to be in terms of from a pr perspective it's harder to putting out a comment on it's a lot more challenging though just because it's so, so a thing that i think yeah, you'd need to be saying something particularly interesting to, whereas it felt like a little while ago, you could, it probably was a bit more forgiving in terms of what you could put out and actually get included in stories. Whereas I think now everyone is, yeah, it's beyond being commented on almost. Um, yeah, we run like a rolling news story on Black Friday or ahead of Black Friday, just because we don't want to take it to take over all the rest of the coverage. So we'll put all our stories in one place. And I guess we think that Black Friday isn't just about people having a sale. It's about the way that people sell online changing. And because Black Friday is the busiest time of the year, or historically has been for online retailers, then customer behaviour and the way it changes is more evident at that time of year, just because you've got more volume of sales taking place. So you'd always see big shifts like towards click and collect would be more obvious in the one up to Christmas than at any other time of year. Yeah, absolutely. On a slight segue, am I right in thinking that your roles changed recently or you're not looking after the thought leadership side of things <laughs> as much? 
Um, we have a new digital editor, Scarlett Isaac, who is now looking after that column. I talked to her in the first instance, but I'll always pass on guest comment approaches. So she, she now sort of okays opinion pieces and that type of thing. Yes. Yes. yes it's, it's better to have the same person and looking after the whole process because she'll know what else has been used recently, what other subjects we've just covered. So it wouldn't be good to use that again. And she'll be able to keep the, the flow going nicely. So are you now more on the, the news side of things? I'm still doing the newsletters twice a week. Then Paul Skeldon does them Thursday. I do Tuesday and Friday. He does Thursday. And I also write quite a lot of the research reports that we have going on as well in the background. We've just published the Grade 3000 for this year, Grade 3000 Europe. And I've just done a report on brands and marketplaces. And now I'm working on the top 1000 Europe. Excellent. Do you view the retail trade space as being competitive, busy? Do you think there's a lot of titles or do you think on the flip side, you've seen a lot of titles disappear? Which way would you view the sector as a whole? I guess our focus tends to be e-commerce and multi-channel retail. And that's how we differentiate ourselves from other retail titles. And I guess I've noticed that some titles have gone, but other titles have started. There's always going to be a, a chain. More people are producing white papers, research reports. I think as more shoppers have bought online over the last year, capacity has just got so much larger all around, whether it's people delivering twice as many grocery orders in a week as they used to, but also the capacity for interest in writing about, about omni-channel, multi-channel retail in particular. I find, it, I find it interesting when talking to clients about which titles they want to get in, because I think compared to some sectors, sometimes I think there's not, as being specifically UK, I sometimes think there's not that many retail titles. And then I sometimes feel that there is quite a clear sort of for want of a better word, tier system, by which I'd probably say at the top of the tree would probably be yourselves and Retail Week, which I guess would therefore probably both be the probably the most competitive titles to get in. And then obviously you do have the specific areas of retail, like the grocer tends to be a very competitive. And yeah, I do view those as being probably the most competitive from a B2B trade standpoint. The the question I have is because we haven't really worked directly with retailers and been a retailers agency, we'd always be a vendors agency who offers a service to to retailers. So recently I mentioned Astound, Miracle is the the other one we've worked with in recent times. Then what do you think the key is for those types of companies who aren't retailers essentially? What do you think the key is for them featuring and being covered? Because unless they can get give you access to a retailer. So I, I have a very clear idea in my mind of what, how we cover the sector, because it is enormous. And I can't write a story about every, every email that comes into my inbox. So the sort of ladder of stories in which I'm interested starts off with stories about leading retailers and we have a top 500 index so stories in uh, about retailers in that index and also we have a top 1000 list for europe we have a growth 3000 I, I tend to write less about the growth 3000 retailers but paul skeldon tends to write more about them so i'm interested in stories about top 500 retailers ideally from their own mouths 
So that's interviews, it's their financial results, it's presentations, talks at conferences, that kind of thing. Then it's what vendors or other technology providers can tell us about the change that technology has made to a top 500 or great 3000 retailer. But we're also interested in innovation. So if you're doing something that's really new and maybe a retailer isn't using it yet, we're still going to be interested. That's the way with innovation stories is that we're always interested in the person one or two. But once you get down to maybe five or six people doing it, then we're not so interested. And we're always interested in trends, whether that's trends in customer behaviour or trends in the way that retailers are changing the way they serve customers, which usually is in response to customer behaviour. So anything that you can tell us about that. I think vendors do quite well with research. So they will tell us what they found out about how customers are doing a certain thing, how they're using technology and how that's benefiting retailers, what the knock-on effect is for them, if that helps. Yeah, so original data is a good way. Yes, um, also vendors do quite a lot of research, don't they? If surveys are about something that I'm really interested in finding out about, whether that's the way that people are changing, the way that they shop, rather than a survey that comes to the conclusion that, you know, you have to buy this technology and this will solve yeah. the problem. If it's too obviously self-serving. Chop the bit in the quick where you say, buy our technology. <laughs> no, that is that is very true. Are you interested if they happen to have a retailer who's willing to talk? So it could be a vendor and said retailer talking about a topic, something that they've innovated together, whatever it might be, whatever form of innovation, and they help the retailer that way, and they could potentially get both two spokespeople on the phone for you. Is that something which is of interest as well? Oh, yes, definitely. And especially if it's obviously about online and multi-channel retailing. In a way, it's like a local paper, that as long as it's got online and multi-channel retailing in there, we're interested. Um, mm. So if I was writing about Bristol, I wouldn't want to know about something happening in Swindon. Um, and if I'm just writing about multi-channel retail, I don't necessarily want to know about your, I don't know, behind the scenes, communication systems for staff or whatever. That's not quite so relevant. Very fair point. Is there anything at the moment which you're particularly interested in hearing more about? Are there any trends that you're noticing? Anything that you think maybe in the next 12 months that you think there's more to mine in? I think that the changes in retail are basically about people now shopping in different places. So retailers are moving into those different places in order to sell. I think that has changed attitudes towards marketplace quite a lot. We, in the recent Brands and Marketplaces report that we did, we talked a lot about how brands now consider marketplaces to be a crucial part of their retail strategies in a way that perhaps in the past they didn't so much but just that sense of being present in a lot of different places and that might be the device that you're selling through or it might be you know anything that I'm expecting to see different ways of, of shopping different places to shop different times different reasons and all of this will be of interest in the future we've obviously read a lot about covid and how that has changed the way that retail operates over the last year. So that's still interesting. Um, for a time, it seemed that COVID has taken over everything. So I'd like to write not about COVID as well. Yes. 
No, that's, I think, yeah, trying to move post-COVID is probably an element I imagine a lot of journalists share at the moment. Yes. Do you come into London at all for, I'm talking pre-COVID now, for whatever it might be, retailer events or internet retailing events? Do you tend to do a monthly trip or something like that? Or does it just tend to be on a a quite ad hoc basis? I I think it depends. I, I come into London, although I haven't been to London for more than a year now, but I tend to come in for internet retailing events, other people's events. Again, I'll come if there's an event that features the top 500 retailer quite focused on that but I'll also come in for things to do with internet retailing so I'll be in for internal events as well so if I'm in town then that's when I'll be there but generally for me it makes sense to combine it with a conference or something that's going on some reason why I'm there already. How have you found from a journalist perspective the the last year or so have you it sounds like you wouldn't necessarily be meeting company spokespeople regularly face-to-face anyway but have you noticed sort of either from an internet retailing perspective or just how you personally found the writing stories at this time it's been a lot more zoom calls and the like how have you found it overall for me things were quite similar apart from we had two kids at home (laughs) so we worked at home anyway both me and my husband worked at home anyway and so the actual you know mechanics of work was the same we had a bit of homeschooling going on in the background so it's been challenging because of that but that's the main factor and I'm very aware that our kids are quite old my daughter's 10 and my son's 14 so he, they're much more self-sufficient than maybe younger kids so people with younger kids have really sympathetic. yeah that must have been a tough time and do you think in general how do you imagine the industry is going to bounce back what do you see from that perspective in the next maybe between now and Christmas say do you think high street stats will keep going up do you think or do you think that online elements that maybe peaked during lockdown are going to really stick with us? Yes, I don't think that people will have got into new habits. And those new habits will mean that they still want to, by and large, have realised it's, it's convenient. But I think people still want to go to shops. They haven't been able to do that at all, uh, unless buying something that was, you know, from an essential retailer. So people will want to go back to clothes shops, they'll want to try on clothes when they can, and they'll want to use the multi-channel services like picking up and dropping off returns. So I see people doing more of their spending online, but still shops will be important. Maybe there'll be fewer shops as people realise that, or as retailers realise that combine online and the store element to provide a similar service, but from more flagship type showrooms instead of having I don't know, 500 shops. It'll be interesting how COVID restrictions affect technology on the omni-channel side of things. Because I remember a few years ago, and I still think it's a thing, there was a lot of talk about augmented reality fitting rooms and things where you could see what something would look like on you. It'll be interesting to see if that investment in that type of thing continues or whether that money will go elsewhere. Yes, I guess it's always going to depend on whether or not people use it and to what extent it's just a novelty because lots of things that have been novelties in the past have then become mainstream whereas other novelties have disappeared. I think the retailers will be deciding whether they want to deal with returns at the same level as they are now or if they want to, to help customers make sure they've bought the right thing the first time and they do that by 
through using technology such as the virtual fitting rooms and so on. I, th I think sizes, which is one of the big reasons where, where you might send something back, and clothing are getting better. If you buy clothing online, you'll often be able to check if the size online is really going to fit based on other things that you wear, on measurements sometimes. So it's, it's obviously coming on. Ultimately, you can only really see what something looks like on when it's on and whether it is exactly what you're expecting. So maybe people will either get used to high levels of returns or they'll use their shops to handle returns. We will see. We don't know, I suppose. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Absolutely. I will let you go in just a second, Chloe. The only um, final question I was just going to ask, have you seen anything recently, either from a retail or from a, a vendor, that you've thought particularly exciting in the last few weeks or something you think is, will go on to become something very exciting? I think it's quite exciting that we're all going back to shops and onto the high street after a year of not being able to. And I'm quite interested in the very fast delivery services that have proliferated lately. I'll be quite interested to see if they carry on at the same level. There was results up from Ocado last week where they were... Where, um, Tim Steiner was talking about whether or not people would be able to really get a big market out of those very fast immediate delivery apps where people are maybe only ordering two or three objects at once. Obviously, the people investing in them think there's a huge future in it, but I wonder if it was very much time limited to the pandemic. I don't know, have you used that? Have you ordered something for quick delivery lately? Is that when it's the same day? No, within an hour, within 20 minutes. I haven't done that, no. What's a good example? Of I get a quick delivery from my local co-op down the road. I haven't. I don't know exactly what means would be used. Sometimes it's in Milton Keynes they use robots. Other places they use delivery. Basically, it's people going and getting your shopping and bringing it to you, isn't it? The only thing I can think of which would be is if you were in the process of cooking something and you realise that you've missed yeah. a key ingredient and you've already started cooking is the, the type of occasion I can think because I have done that quite recently. The only, it, it, was the, the delivery fees presumably are quite high for... No, it's only about a pound or something. Okay, so that... Mm, no, yeah. maybe it will go up once we're all dependent on it, but so far... Is, that, is it just for groceries generally? Or... Those groceries is what you would need quickly, isn't it? Mm. Like you say, it's when you are cooking something and you need something. I, I tend to think I'll go to the shop, but... Yeah, I still, whenever it's like an Amazon same-day delivery, even that slightly blows my mind when that gets there, and that's obviously after a few hours, and that's still, so the idea of sub an hour is... <laughs> yeah. It would see, I think it would feel particularly lazy for me to I live near, quite near a retail park within a five-minute walk, so I'm trying to think of an example when I'd... <laughs> I think I would feel quite lazy if I was doing too much of that. And actually, one more um, question just to go to me, Chloe. Um, in terms of the PR journalist relationship, what do you see as being the importance of that? And I guess what PRs can do to sort of not necessarily rub you the wrong way. I'm imagining at the moment you're probably getting bored of telling people that you're not taking contributed articles anymore. I imagine it's one, one immediate gripe. Um, <laughs> But yeah, aside from that, what do you see as the importance of it? Do you, is it important to be creative? Are there any other attributes you think are important from the PR side to make the most of that relationship? 
I just think give me good stories. I have to say the guest comments um, feature much more, much more of a priority for, for PRs than they are for me. I just thought, oh my God, a lot of them we should run a regular column and then we'd have some kind of predictability about when we run them. But no, other than that, I'm always looking for a good story, which is about a top 500 retailer and how they're innovating or otherwise responding to the changing way in which their customers are shopping. If you've got a good story, you don't think I've seen it, then by all means, give me a call. But if you're just ringing to see if your press release has got through, then I do check my emails more than I check anything else. That's where I would definitely see your message. Perfect. On that note, Chloe, thank you very much for taking the time. It's been really interesting. And uh, I'll let you get on with the rest of your afternoon. So thank you very much. Thank you. You're very welcome that's a wrap for episode six of the digital communicators podcast huge thanks to chloe for taking the time to speak you can find links to her internet retailing articles in the show notes if you enjoyed the show please like and subscribe thank you and goodbye